Ho, what's good? It's your boy Josh Elijah for episode five of the Down by Two podcast. I got my co-host, my right-hand man over here. Mike, how you doing, bud? I'm good. We're back for round five. Round five, baby. Yo, it's been it's been busy in the world of sports. Lots going on. April is fantastic because yes, you have you have basketball baseball just starting off you got hockey and in full force as well uh lots going on we have the masters that's coming up but we'll touch on that later uh what's what's right now at the forefront for you forefront for me um i know baylor just won the national championship shout out to the bears knocked off the zags their perfect season came to an end yo that was fantastic to watch and they dumped unreal they bullied them they just weren't they just weren't ready for that competition they weren't no No, not at all and Uh, everyone was going zags but uh i had baylor we had baylor in uh, one of our brackets even though that's not what we originally said um didn't win any money though lost a few buck that's all right, though. Yeah. Uh, Final four was very entertaining. Those eggs with uh, Suggs hitting that game winner oh, over yo. UCLA. And that yo, was one of the be- greater games of all time, they're saying. So. And and that's what had me kind of worried about Zags going to the finals is if UCLA gave them that much of a run for their money. Yo, fantastic team. No discredit to UCLA. But, um, man, that it went down to overtime and a half court, like, like a 30-foot buzzer beater. Who was the lefty that plays for UCLA? He's probably going to be a lottery pick. We'll have to refer to it. We'll Juzang. refer back. Yeah. Oh, guy's a stud. Yo. Didn't know anything about him. Yo, he's slick. Yeah. Slick, slick. So yeah, that that wrapped up. And um, at the forefront, hockey-wise, my Leafs look good. Yo. Jack are, Campbell's 10-0. 10-0. Just broke the franchise Breaking record. Breaking records. Feel a good story. Absolutely. Former uh, 11th overall pick of the Stars kind of fizzled out, ended up in LA, came over in a trade a couple of years ago, and he might be the goalie of the future. So nice to see that. Go ahead and into the playoffs it. pretty soon, having a, a, promise, a promising number one. Picking up that momentum. Uh, the Raptors have uh, been on a bit of a skid as well as uh, last night. Uh, you know, when we're recording this episode, last night was uh, a loss to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, so, yes, definitely been on a bit of a skid. But you know who is not? a skid actually the complete opposite uh of a skid he's an absolute beauty what a gem of a human being our guest on the show today was uh jack armstrong just finished wrapping up with him what a gem this man is (sighs) this guy talked for an hour straight and you could honestly sit there all day and hear these stories he's uh he's a well-traveled well-experienced uh man just even like he gave us 40, like originally the interview was set up for 40 minutes and he gave us an hour and 20. So it's just like, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a fantastic episode. We talk about everything under the sun. We're talking about like back in the day, you know, what got him into basketball and then ended up leading up to his coaching career and then over making the transition to broadcasting with the Toronto Raptors where he's been there 23 years now. Um, and then we, we talk, we talk what, what, football, oh, we talk huge bills guy marathons, we talk fucking pickleball beer uh, beer lots of beers this is what caught this is what really got me was he moved to western new york lives in niagara and he's such a blue collar guy oh, so yeah. he's so relatable he's just kind of a, a work hard play hard kind of guy relates to probably a lot of the listeners out there and uh Man, I hope to get him back. He was yeah. he was awesome. It was an absolute delight to have him on the show and have him check in for uh, for his morning coffee with us. So, uh, but here it is. This is episode five of the Down by Two podcast, featuring Jack Armstrong of the Toronto Raptors and TSN.
producer, Jesse, a.k.a. Birdman, and uh, a very special guest on the show today. Uh, you may recognize him as uh, one of the broadcasters for the Toronto Raptors, alongside Matt Devlin, uh, or even from TSN, as he's one of the basketball analysts there. Uh, but he hails from Brooklyn and is beloved by our nation. Mr. Jack Armstrong is on the show. Hey, Jackie, how you doing today? Guys, uh, good morning. Uh, pleasure to be on with you today. Excited to be here to chat a little bit with you. And uh, always a pleasure chatting uh, basketball or whatever you want to talk about. Whatever we want to talk we about. We might go in all different directions. Yeah. yeah. Pleasure having uh, having a morning coffee with you. Yeah, thank you for stopping in and having oh, you your cup it. of joe with us this morning. This is uh, this I fantastic. Drink, I don't drink I don't drink coffee unless it's got whiskey in it. So, um <laughs> Well, I mean, it's got to be 11 a.m. somewhere. Not quite here, but uh, I mean, hey, I may have a, I may have an ounce or two of Bailey's in my cup of Joe today, so we'll see. Special occasion, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't make you a bad person. No. <laughs> it's all good. If you said it, then we're good. Yeah. Yeah, as long as Jackie says. Um, yeah. So great, great again to to have you on the show, um, Jack. Obviously, you've uh, you've been. Uh, with the Raptors organization for years, I think since maybe 2000, if I'm maybe uh, on with that or off with that, maybe by a year or so. 20, 23 years. 23 years. I've been 23 years. the 98-99 season, the lock, lockout season, Vince Carter's rookie year. So uh, this is my 23rd season. 23rd season and so obviously you've seen you've seen it all and and obviously uh that organization reach its pinnacle now nba champs um but we'd really like to start and uh take a step back and kind of look at the big picture um especially from you as we're curious as to uh where did it all sort of start for you uh where, where did you find that love for the game um that ultimately ended up leaving uh, or leading you to your coaching career and then ultimately broadcasting Obviously, it started off uh, growing up in Brooklyn, uh, you know, playing basketball from the time I was probably six, seven years old and falling in love with the sport. And, you know, it's the city game. And, uh, you know, everyone in New York uh, has an amazing passion, for, particularly for basketball and baseball. And uh, I grew up, those are the two sports I played extensively as a kid and loved. And uh, everyone in my neighborhood did the same thing. And, uh, not only did we play baseball, but we played stickball. I mean, stickball is probably as much a, a part of you growing up in Brooklyn as basketball is. So, uh, stickball. you know, stickball, uh, stickball on the street, stickball uh, with, a you know, a pitch in live pitching against a wall where, you know, if you hit the ball to a certain uh, floor of a school building, it's a double. If you hit it higher, it's a triple. You know, it's just, so just uh, the passion of sport. And the passion of, uh, you know, growing up in an incredible place, a melting pot and uh, a diverse, really cool, uh, intense place to live. And uh, yeah. so it was, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Awesome. No, that's fantastic. And then so. you Did you say you went to Fordham University? Is that what I read? Did you go there playing sports or? No, I didn't play in college. Uh, I went back to my high school and coached. Uh, that's how I started. Um but I, I got my bachelor's in history and my master's in communications from Fordham. Uh, I ended up coaching at Fordham after I was co I coached in high school, Nazareth High School in Brooklyn. Uh, so I went back there to coach. I'd, I'd gone there. And then um, uh, then I coached at Fordham University as well. I was an assistant coach there for four years. 
uh, before going to Niagara. I was at Niagara for a year as an assistant, and I was the head coach there for nine years. And now I've been with the Raptors mm-hmm. for 23. So uh, there's my resume in a, a short title. <laughs> <tiny. laughs> well, you're hired. There's a lot of steps along the way, a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs and life experiences, good and bad and everywhere in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it, it's been a, it's been a great ride. I've enjoyed it. Uh, and, and, uh, I've had literally two careers in the sport. Uh, one as a coach, one as a broadcaster. Uh, and I, I always say to young people, I can't thank that orange ball enough. You know, I fell Absolutely. in love with that orange ball when I was six, six, seven years old and here I am 58 and, you know, 50 plus years later and I'm still, uh, my best friends in my life, uh, you know, the greatest life experiences I've had. Uh, I met my wife. She was a Division One head coach as well. She was the women's soccer coach, uh, head coach, and then she was the women's basketball assistant at Niagara University where I was the head coach. So no, uh, I wouldn't have met my wife without sports. You know, so uh, to me, I, I always tell young people, it's like, uh, you know, to you, that might be a paintbrush might be dance. It might be acting. It might be a um, uh, song. Uh, might be a, a musician, you, you know, a, a guitar, a piano. It could be law. It could be medicine, social work, whatever it may be. Uh, find that thing. If you can find that thing in your life that you're passionate about, that you love, uh, you'll never work a day in your life. I feel like I've worked my tail off. Nonetheless, I get out of bed every day and I love what I do. No, that's, that's fantastic. That is, um, such a blessing when you get to do what you love for a living because it doesn't feel like it work right that's uh truly special no that's fantastic um yeah well let's let's talk a little bit about coaching and like i'm just super super curious as well with your time at niagara university and, and when it comes to coaching um like what what kind of style of of coach would you say because i picture jack being a, a very fiery coach on the sidelines going up and down um like where, where you say you're more offensive minded defensive minded um Kind of, kind of shed some light on that. Oh, I would say uh, your description of me is very accurate. Uh, <laughs> I was incredibly intense, passionate, uh, fiery. You know, tie unbuttoned, sweating through my shirt, uh, through my suit. Uh, you know, profane at times, uh, <laughs> emotional, uh, all that. Yeah. So yes, I was that. Uh, I think I mellowed out and got better at it as I went along. Uh, and, and we all do and you mature. But nonetheless, I think I was uh, an incredibly competitive person, uh, very direct, uh, at the same time, very compassionate and passionate. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was uh, those would be descriptions of who I was as a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love what I did. I had uh, great relationships with the people that I worked with. And work for. Uh, I still, you know, live uh, four miles from the university I coached at, uh, and I still live in the same house I did when I coached there. And I live, you know, an hour and fifteen minutes from Toronto, and I live four miles from Niagara University, you know. And, and uh, so it's been a it's been a great uh, great experience to still live in the community, and uh, you know, now uh, in this community, uh, in the community I live. Uh, I'm, I'm coach, I'm the ex-coach, and in uh, Canada, I'm kind of a, 
different type of coach. So, uh, yeah. but uh, I feel like. I feel like I have the best of both worlds, and it's been a, a really cool experience. Just to add to the uh, Niagara University experience, I seen in '93 you were the coach of the year for D1 in the state of New York. Um, was there was there a possibility of getting into the tournament that year, or did you have to win the MAC tournament first to get into the uh, March Madness? What what did that look like? Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, we went to the NIT that year and we lost a heartbreaker. We lost a heartbreaker by one point, uh, in the conference tournament, uh, on the Sorry last play of the game. That's okay. Uh, it changes <laughs> your life, quite frankly. Um, yeah. you don't know it at the time, but it does. I mean, literally if we win that game, we're in the NCAA tournament. I'm a 30 year old head coach. I'm probably, uh, gone from there and uh, probably would have been the head coach of maybe a Northwestern or George Mason or a Richmond or a school like that, uh, some of the schools that had openings at that point. And, wow. you know, instead you go to the NIT and it changes things a little bit. And you, uh, I ended up signing a long-term extension to stay at Niagara. But uh, there are definitely signature moments in your life uh, that, that you know, really uh, impact you. Um, so it was, it was great. It was a great season. It was a great time in my life. We had, uh, at, at the time, the second longest winning streak in school history, uh, you know, one of the five best seasons in school history. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was a great experience. I had, I had some uh, pretty good years, and then I had some pretty bad years and uh, everywhere in between. So, uh, but I, I think it helped me grow. I think it helped me. Uh, it's definitely helped me as a broadcaster. I, I feel like I can tap in um, to kind of my experiences uh, as a former head coach. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, particularly when I first made the transition from uh, the college game to the pro game, uh, being, you know, just the, the, the kid, you know, I, I was a little intimidated when I started 23 years ago. And then all the people I met in the NBA, uh, you know, it's the old six degrees of separation. Uh, every person I met, there was some connection that I had with someone in their life, and they had a connection with someone in my life. So uh, it's a small fraternity uh, basketball. Um, so to me, it was, it's been uh, it's been a great transition from one to the other. And uh, having been a high school coach, and then having been a college head coach, having been an assistant coach, uh, all that, uh, and an administrator as well, a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I'm able to kind of connect on a number of different fronts to the people I work with now. Absolutely. So um, where what ended up leading to that transition, I guess, when it came from, you know, Niagara University and then ultimately you ended up with the Raptors organization? Um, how, how did that transition come about? Uh, I got fired. Damn, I am sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's just what happens. Well, all you have to do is look at my career record. I was 100 and 154. And, uh, you know, I had a 100% graduation rate, which I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. But that's not good enough. Oh, uh, wow. Not that's only a have huge to do accomplishment. It, you have, yeah. You have to not only do it right off the court, you got to do it right on the court. And as much as people talk about values and XYZ and all that, you got you got to do it all. And uh, so I, I didn't win enough games. I ran out of time. I had a winning season my last year at Niagara, but I had a new president who kind of wanted to make a change. And 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I respected that. I had a year left on my contract at Niagara. I left on great terms with them. Uh, they paid me my money, and uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I had a, I had kind of like a redshirt year. I had a year to kind of explore, and I was literally burnt out from coaching. I needed a year away from it. I did not want to coach for a year, and my intent, quite frankly, was to uh, take a year off and then get back into broadcasting. I mean, excuse me, to get back into coaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, and literally the Raptors radio job opened up. Earl Curidan, who had been the Raptors radio analyst, left. Uh, and they hired Chuck Sw- and Mike Inglis, who is now the voice of the Miami Heat. Uh, he left. Ah. So they hired Chuck Swirsky. They hired Chuck Swirsky and I Chuck. as the radio team. And uh, here I am 23 years later. Uh, Chuck left uh, 13 years ago to go to the Bulls. But here I am still 23 years later. So uh, so literally, uh, I always tell people what I do now is sports version of white collar crime. It's the greatest scam going. Uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> you, you put unemployed basketball coaches and that's what sports broadcasting is. You put unemployed hockey coaches and football coaches and basketball coaches and managers and athletes that were cut or told to retire. And you put us all. You know, many of them are great, great players, uh, but some of them are hacks like me. And uh, you put us on the air, and suddenly you go from you go from idiot to expert overnight. So it's a it's a great scam. Just don't tell anybody about it. No, but, uh, no, no, no. We, sounds we won't. like the dream. This podcast will be published, but <laughs> yes, might be uh, we won't. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, so it's been a, it's uh, it's been a uh, so literally uh, honestly, my only intent was to kind of keep my name out there. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'll give, you know, that's great. The NBA. And I got hired by a bunch of networks, uh, ESPN, uh, Fox Sports, New York, uh, Empire Sports Network, which at the time was in existence in Buffalo, uh, MSG Network in New York uh, to do college basketball as well. So I had a full slate of uh, college TV and then NBA radio. Uh, where every, literally I was working almost every day, uh, it and and it was great. And literally in that year, I just found my love and my passion for the sport again. I think I was exhausted mentally, emotionally, spiritually, just drained from the coaching experience. And I think I got back my natural fun personality again, uh, calling the games. And and so after like a year of it. Uh, there were some opportunities to go back into coaching, and a lot of my coaching friends were like, "Are you nuts? Uh, you know, you're so good at what you can, what you're doing now." And they probably meant to say, "You're a lousy coach. Stay and doing what you're doing now because you're better at that than you ever were as a coach." Uh, I'm not sure if they meant to say that or not. I think they did. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I was happy doing it, you know. And, and they were all saying, "Why would you want to do this again?" And put yourself through the torture and the misery of it when you have your natural personality back and you're having fun with it and you're a natural at it. Uh, so, you know, I did it another year and there were more coaching opportunities in the, you know, after the second year, after the third year. And uh, just got to a point where with my family, my wife and I adopted three boys. Uh, they were all, we had three boys in diapers at one time. We had, you know, a few dogs. It was crazy, you know, and, yeah. uh, and it just got to a point where you say, uh, 
there's trade-offs in life. And uh, it's about being happy and it's about being, uh, I think when you're a coach's wife, uh, my wife, even though she had been a division one head coach and division one assistant coach, uh, she's an amazing person. And she sacrificed a lot during my coaching career for me. And uh, I think there's what we call in our business, acknowledge neglect, where a lot of times every, you know, everyone kind of runs their life around your schedule. And, uh, I, and and unfortunately, even in the job I'm in now, uh, we're kind of beholden to, you know, my schedule uh, for the NBA. And, and at the time, I, I did college basketball for 19, 20 years on TV, you know, that schedule as well. Uh, but you just you just reach a point where uh, you say, you know, it's it's more to just winning and losing. There's uh, the value of being a good husband, a good father. That stuff matters a lot more because, you know, when you get fired from a job, the thing that you learn is the job doesn't love you back. You know, the job does not love you back. And uh, and as much as I love coaching, uh, there comes a point where, you know, they walk you out the door and uh, you reach a point where, you, you, you know, it, it is a job and it's a fun job. And I loved it. And I love what I do now. Uh, at the same time, I think uh, priorities in life uh, are those people that you love and you care about. And uh, that not only is that your family, but you're also your friends because they're the only ones there when things get quiet. You know, when you have a job and you have a title, people will return your calls and they'll return your messages. Uh, when you have a name with no title, uh, it, it gets very quiet and you find out who your true friends are. You know, and, and yep. to me, uh, you, you learn that. And I learned that as I transitioned from coaching to broadcasting, which people in life you can count on and which people you can't. And uh, so to me, uh, it's been a great experience doing what I'm doing now. And when people call me and ask me for a favor, whether they have a title or not, I return the call uh, because I, I, I value people. And, uh, and so it, it's been, it's been a great journey. I, I've loved it. And I, I'm very appreciative to have the opportunity I've had with the Raptors and all the good folks in, in, in Canada over the years with a lot of different, you know, with TSN and Sportsnet, the Fan 590, uh, you know, uh, the score. I've worked for a lot of different ones, NBA mm-hmm. TV, you name it, Raptors TV. Uh, it's been a, it's been a great journey along the way. Absolutely. And uh, definitely can relate to that. Us reaching out to you to come do this show and you not knowing who we are. It's uh, it's really paying that forward. So uh, really, uh, really appreciate you uh, jumping on with us here. Um, we actually have a question from uh, one of our one of our top fans, a huge fan of yours and a fan of our podcast, Brad from BC, uh, wants to, I guess, this is a great segue. So um, being uh, with the Raptors and also being an ex head coach, uh, you've seen a lot of coaches actually come through uh, our organization, a lot of great coaches. Um, but how incredible has it been to see the evolution of our now head coach, Nick Nurse, and even just the Raptors as a whole? Well, I used to spend a lot of time with Nick when he was an assistant with Dwayne, uh, because when you're an assistant, you have a little more time to talk. You know, and when you're the head coach, and, I, and I've been a, an assistant coach and I've been a head coach, um, 
I'm very respectful of the head coach's time. So I don't spend as much time with Nick now. And obviously this season, you don't spend any time because it's yeah. a dysfunctional year with the team being in Tampa and we're in Toronto. It's been hard. Um, but I, I'm very respectful of the fact that he's the CEO too, you know, and, and that his time, he's getting pulled in a lot of different directions. And, uh, so I'm very respectful of, of his position. Um, he is a tremendous basketball mind. He's a really good guy. Um, he's got uh, he's got what I call intellectual curiosity. Uh, he he he's uh, he's bright. He's innovative. He's thoughtful. He, he not only hears but he listens. He observes. Uh, he uh, he's 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 got a uh, he's got a really cool streak of creativity in him and uh he's tough he's got leadership qualities uh he can coach each phase of the game um he's he's just really really talented you know it's interesting uh before he was named the head coach uh he was you know considered this offensive guru and and i think if you look at him uh obviously in his first two years as a head coach i would say uh his greater impact has been on defense, you know, and uh, I think this year is just an incredibly dysfunctional year not in our entire league, let alone for the Raptors. So it's hard to judge anybody, quite frankly. Um, but uh, I, I think he has great talent. And uh, they used to say this about Don Shula. I think the, the late Bump Phillips said it about him. He could take his and beat yours. He could take yours and beat his. And you don't say it. I don't say that a lot about coaches, uh, but Nick is one of those guys, in my opinion, whether he be in Toronto, whether he be in Phoenix, whether he be in uh, Utah, whether he be in Minneapolis, whether he be in Charlotte. Uh, my opinion, he has that kind of skill set as a head coach that if you give him a pretty good roster, he's going to figure out ways to make that team competitive. Absolutely. Definitely agree with that. Um, you, you touched on, um, I guess maybe, uh, what, you know, it was like before, um, this, you know, crazy year that we've been in, uh, but you've obviously had the chance to, um, travel with, with the Raptors, obviously, uh, pre COVID. Um, but what are maybe some of the, the, the toughest places that the Raptors go to play? Where are some of those towns or any, any stories from the road that, um, you know, have always kind of given the, the Raps a tough time where, what are some of the, those toughest spots? Because, uh, my, my co-host here to the, to the right is actually from, uh, uh, pretty close to the border. Yeah. I'm a Windsor Detroit guy. So I'm, I'm more so curious about Pistons, but let's hear what you have to say where your, uh, your top spots. Well, I mean, I, I would say in terms of, uh, you know, tough spots to play versus fun spots to play. I mean, it's a little bit different. Uh, tough spots. I would say one of the toughest spots to play is in Utah because the fans are right on the court. Uh, they're right on you. The way the build, the building is constructed, uh, uh, I would say that's one of the tougher places to play. And you're playing at altitude. I also think Denver's tough, not because of the crowd. I think Denver and Utah are the two toughest places to play in the league, particularly if you have to play in a back-to-back because of the altitude. Mm -hmm. I'm a runner. I run every day. Uh, when I run in Salt Lake City and Denver, I can feel I can feel it. I can definitely feel it. Now, 
and I'm not an elite athlete like our, our guys that are out there playing on the court. Mm-hmm. So when these guys are sprinting and I'm jogging, that's a dramatic difference. And they're elite and I'm a hack. Uh, so uh, to me, those are tough. Uh, and then, and then, like, and I would say Philadelphia would probably be one of the tougher places to play because yeah. their fans are really rough uh, and nasty. Uh, so They're known I would that. say there, and then, and then I think when you talk about, yeah, I think what about fun places to play? Obviously, being a New Yorker, playing at the at the Garden. Obviously, that for me as a young guy growing up in New York, Madison Square Garden, such a big deal. As a guy who grew up in Brooklyn, uh, it's always a joy to play in Brooklyn because to have a professional sports team for the first time in Brooklyn since the Brooklyn Dodgers left, since the Brooklyn Dodgers went to Los Angeles in 1957, it's a big deal to me to see a pro team in Brooklyn. Uh, I, I love the games in Portland. Uh, I love the games in Detroit. Oh, uh, because we get so many uh, Raptor fans, even Minneapolis. Uh, I would say those are three of the games that we get an amazing Canadian turnout. And then I would say any of the other arenas in, in uh, the U.S., we get a tremendous uh, Toronto turnout uh, anywhere we go, Boston and, and Miami and Orlando. And uh, it's just remarkable. Everywhere we go, there's Raptor fans. So uh, when I look around the NBA, uh, the Raptor fans travel really, really well. That's the beauty of having one team representing a nation, right? Anyone that's traveling from Canada, you can find them in in all different buildings. Absolutely, and uh, and yeah, that's um, you know the Raptors uh, definitely have like probably one of the best fan bases out there. So that's um, that's that's fantastic to be able to travel to another city and and see that kind of support. Um, we we do have a bit of time left here, but we let's uh, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I, I yeah. let's do let's do a bit of a. Do a bit of a 180, and uh, let's talk some Buffalo Bills because uh, that would be uh, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. I know you're a big fan of the Bills, so uh, let's let's jump into that. Any um, were you were you always a Bills guy? Because you grew up in Brooklyn, right? Right. So you're not, were you Jets or Giants originally, and then kind of transplanted because yeah. you're. It was interesting. Uh, I loved Fran Tarkenton. I'm really dating myself, and he played for the <laughs> Giants, and they traded him to the Minnesota Vikings. And he obviously Fran Tarkenton's in the Hall of Fame. He was a terrific quarterback. And it broke my heart. And I was a really young guy at the time. So the Jets had Joe Namath, and the Jets were fun. And then they had Richard Todd as a quarterback. And I enjoyed the Jets. But I would say, you know, my bigger sports, again, were baseball, basketball growing up. And I never really, uh, you know, but I would say I followed the Jets. But I wouldn't say I was a passionate Jet fan. Uh, Then when I moved uh, to Buffalo in 1988, uh, I spoke at an event with an Irish guy from the Bronx named Bill Polian. And if you guys know football, yeah, Bill yeah. is a six-time yeah. NFL NFL executive of the year and in the Football Hall of Fame. And I, he and I sat together at this uh, breakfast next to each other, and we, we just started exchanging stories and talking. And, like, he knew a million people I knew, and I knew a million people he knew. And Bill is an incredibly passionate uh, basketball guy. He used to be a, a high school basketball referee in the Bronx. And uh, his three boys love basketball. And um, his son, Chris, uh, and was the you know, general manager of the uh, Indianapolis Colts. He was the director of player personnel at Jacksonville Jaguars. And, and now is the, the director of player personnel for the Washington football team. And his son, Brian, is the 
assistant coach and special team coordinator for the University of Notre Dame, and then Dennis is at, uh, at Texas A&M. They all went to my basketball camp. Uh, you know, oh, David right. Caldwell used to be the GM of the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Tom Telesco, the GM of the San Diego Chargers. They all went to my camp, and they all grew up together with the Paulians. So uh, it became a thing where, you know, Bill and I uh, just got along really well. And he and his lovely bride, Eileen, they used to invite my wife and I, Dina, to the Bills games. Even though we had season tickets, uh, Bill would ask us to sit in his suite every week at the games. And obviously, Bill was the architect of the four Super Bowl teams uh, with Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith, Andre Reid, those guys. So it was just an amazing experience getting to know everybody and going to training camp and spending time talking to Marv Levy and all that. So I, I've reached a point in my life. I've been I've been in the sports business a long time. I root for friends. You know, yeah. I root for friends. So uh, I just got to know a lot of different people at the Buffalo Bills through Bill and then Bill left. But I still had a lot of great friendships with people at the Bills. So it just got to my wife grew up in Western New York. She's a huge Bills fan. Their family has been season ticket holders forever. And um, so when I'm home and there isn't a Raptor game, uh, I am at the game. I'm there at 8, 830 in the morning tailgating and I'm at the game and it's a full day experience and I love it. Uh, if I have a weekend, if I have a weekend off, I go, I'll go on the road and go to a road Bills game. Uh, if I'm home and the team is on the road, I'll, you know, I'll have people over at my house or I'll go over to someone else's house or go to a bar and watch a game. I've been to Bill's bars and other cities. And uh, so I just love it. I think I think the Bill's fan base, it's interesting. Uh, the thing that really bothers me about pro sports now is the fact that everyone looks at disposable income and demographics and all this. Buffalo's not a wealthy place, uh, but I think pound for pound. People are more passionate about the Buffalo Bills than maybe in some sexy, glitzy uh, city with a lot of money and a lot of people. And yet, uh, like, you know, I would take a Buffalo Bill fan base any day of the week over a Los Angeles Rams fan base. Oh, <laughs> no. Come on. Absolutely. I mean, no. There's a, no debating that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a St. Louis Rams fan, no, no. but. Uh, well, yeah, and, and look, you know what? There's a there's a word that doesn't get used enough in sports, and that's soul. And I think mm-hmm. Bills fans have soul. Uh, I think they care. And even when they even when they lose, they're there. They support oh, their team. They're passionate. They're screaming. They're yelling. And I think when you look at certain fan bases, they have that. You look at other fan bases, they don't have that. There are a lot of front runners. So to me, I, I just enjoy the Bills fan base because I think they really care. They're very loyal, good times and bad. And this year was a lot of fun for them because, uh, to me, it was just a, a neat experience to, to see them have success and uh, knock wood. Let's hope uh, they have continued success. They're trending in the right direction with Josh Allen and whatnot. I can relate, though, growing up as a, a Lions fan, yeah. very much a blue-collar fan base. I mean, my friends that are listening to this podcast when it releases will probably laugh because all we do is complain, but we show up every Sunday. And uh, yeah, there's just something different about the blue collar fan 
versus, like you said, the glitzy, glammy, big city uh, teams? Well, I mean, just for the record, yeah, I mean, like know, I started, I started watching the Rams back in 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 two thousand when they were back at like the greatest show on on turf with with Kurt Warner. That's why my dad is the only other Rams fan that I know. <laughs> so yes, moving to LA, which is where they're originally from, like I, I get that. But you're absolutely right. Like it's uh, the Bills fan base is is one of the best out there, especially when it comes to football. Yeah, no, and, and to me, it's. Um... You know, like there's been discussion in Buffalo about uh, moving downtown. I don't like it. I don't like no. it at all because of a huge element of what makes the Bills special. It's co- almost like college football. The tailgate experience is a big, big deal. If oh, yeah. you put them in the city and now people have to go into a bar to hang out uh, rather than, the, you know, cooking, the, you know, there's a lot of people in Buffalo that can't afford that. Right. It's out yeah. there, out of the way, in the open. Yeah, and they just can't afford that. Whereas, you know, they save up their money to go to the game. They buy their pack of hot dogs and pack of burgers and, uh, you know, put a 12-pack of beer, a cheap beer, on a cooler, and they're at the football game on Sunday. Whereas if you charge exorbitant prices and it becomes a wine and cheese crowd, it doesn't fit the soul of your community. You know, Absolutely. so yep. in spite of what Jerry Jones and Daniel Snyder and all those snobby, wealthy owners, and I, I understand the Pagulas have money too, but don't ever, ever lose sight of what your fan base is and what the soul of your fan base is. And I really believe that, uh, and, and I'm not just talking football here, I'm talking all four major sports. I think there are times that ownership, and I travel around the NBA, I think there are times that ownership groups lose sight of of what's important. And, and, and so much is put into the – and again, I know you want to maximize money in suites and courtside seats, this, that, the other thing. The soul and the heartbeat of your fan base is as important, if not more important, than uh, the glitzy glitter nonsense. Um, and that's important. And look, I know teams have to make money and maximize value. I get that. Uh, but you also can never lose sight of, of the demographic and the profile of your fan base. And, you know, understand that you still got to connect with them. There still has to be that great human experience that they have. Especially Buffalo, like you said, they're all very much hardworking people. So if you try to turn that into an event that is kind of high-end downtown experience, it just doesn't fit the demographic, like no. you said. So I don't even think you'd be doing a service to the Bills. Yeah, right. We're not going to we're not going to the opera, right? You know, <laughs> and honestly, honestly, you know, and I again, a lot of this is driven by guys like Jerry Jones who built that monstrosity of a stadium. Yeah. But and maybe that fits maybe that fits Texas. And good for you. Congratulations. That fits you. Uh, but the reality is you only need a football stadium, potentially, uh, maybe two preseason games. Uh, I don't you know, who knows what the NFL schedule is going to look like. I know it's going to be 17 games. But let's just yeah. say, for example, let's say you need it 10 times and then maybe you make the playoffs. And you might need it two to three more times. So at the maximum, you're using it uh, 13 times max. Uh, and how many concerts are you having in a stadium of that size? I don't know, maybe three or five a year. Yeah, uh, right. So you're, you're putting, a, 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 you know, a, a blank ton of money into a facility that you're going to literally use 
uh, 15 to 20 times a year. Uh, you know, to me, I think you have to be respectful of it's got to be nice. It's got to be clean, all that kind of stuff. And it's got to have enough amenities. But you know what? I'm there to watch a football game. I don't care about all this other crap. The frills. Uh, yeah. I'm there to watch a football game. You know, yeah, you're not going there I'm, every I'm other not day. Somebody for- that's, yeah, this is not the opera here. I'm, I'm here to watch a football game. I'm there to get there early, tailgate, have a few beers, smoke my cigar, walk in the game, uh, cheer my ass off for three hours, and get, you know, get back and park a lot and have another beer and talk about the game. Well, you being a Bills fan. Sounds like an authentic Bills fan right there. Have you ever body slammed a table? No, I haven't body slammed a table. <laughs> Fair enough. No, that's I'm the raps was, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but fair my, my point, my point is, uh, like even with the Raptors, you know, your, your heartbeat is your three hundred level seats. You know, oh, those yeah. are the people that you know spend their heart. No, again, look, the people that sit on the one hundred level, thank you, and they're they're great fans as well. Uh, but you got to be able to see the entire. What what makes the fabric of your team? What makes the soul of your team? You know, and a big part of the fabric of the Raptors is that national following that that we're the only NBA team in Canada, and that uh, you know we connect on a number of different levels, and uh, we connect with all people, not just some. And uh, so, to me, I I think that's what sports kind of uh, sports is passion, sports is soul, sports is something different it's a it's an identity that a community has with their team and for the raptors and the blue jays there's a national thing about it too there's a a patriotic sense to it you know if you're a fan of the boston red sox it's a kind of a new england thing uh you know it it kind of represent your represents your roots and what you're about so to me uh, some I, I see many teams uh, in sport now kind of losing that sense of who they are and what they're about. And uh, I think it impacts your connection and it impacts the experience that fans have. So I think smart teams really do a good job never losing sight of that. No, you definitely hit the nail right on the head with that. Um, I know that we're a little bit over time here, but we do have a, a quick segment that we wanted to uh, try out for the first time uh, with you, especially. Uh, I'm going to kick it over to Mike here. Why, why don't you run them through? Sure. Yeah. Quickly well, what we have here. Uh, well, first off, I just want to see if there was, if you could call a game with any broadcaster, uh, past or present, who would it be? I know, wow. a tough one. Uh, so, so, so I would be the color guy and I'd have to have a play-by-play guy, I guess. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or someone that right, even just comes play, to mind play in general. Play. Well, no, no, I mean, play-by-play guys. Uh, I would say Marv Albert. Uh, I know yeah. Marv. Uh, I've worked yeah. with his son. I've worked, I've worked a number of games with his son, Kenny, uh, for MSG Network. Uh, but I've never worked with Marv. So Marv, growing up in New York, Marv is an iconic figure. Uh, I would say Vin Scully. I'm a huge baseball Absolutely. fan. Absolutely. Vin yeah. Scully is a, Fordham, is a Fordham graduate like myself. So oh, no way. Vin Scully would be oh, another so cool. guy. Did he start with uh, And, then, and no. probably the other. Uh, no, Vin Scully played baseball uh, at Fordham. And Vin Scully uh, started with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And That's moved, what I was going to ask. Yeah, because he uh, would have been Brooklyn, Brooklyn first. From Brooklyn to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess the other guy would probably be, probably the guy that was my most favorite announcer as a kid. 
and I'm a huge baseball fan, would be Phil Rizzuto, uh, who was a Hall of Fame player and a Hall of Fame broadcaster for the New York Yankees. So uh, oh. if you've ever heard, uh, if you've ever heard the song by Meatloaf, "Paradise by the Dashboard Light," uh, you know, and the baseball description in there, that's Phil Rizzuto uh, for you young people. But uh, <laughs> those would be those would be the guys. I would, yeah. I would say Marv Albert, Vin Scully, all and, legends, uh, yeah, and and Phil Rizzuto would be those guys. You know, if I could be the color guy with one of those guys for a few innings or or for a basketball game or whatever, uh, that'd be a thrill. Awesome. A uh, couple of famous calls made in sports. I just want to see if you can name the uh, well, who called yeah, it. Given, that, uh, given the last uh, question and how you just started rattling off some yeah, of Yeah, these are going to be bunnies for you. <laughs> You're going to be hitting uh, these out of the park. <laughs> but uh, we're going to yeah, go ahead and explain the segment. All right, game six against the Phillies. Who made the call uh, when Joe Carter, touch them all, you never, you'll never hit a bigger homer in your life? Uh, Tom Cheek. You got it. Yeah, yeah. that's Tom G. <laughs> uh, how about who made the call when Leitner um, took the inbound from the end line, turned around, and hit the one at the top of the key to beat Kentucky? There's a pass to Leitner, uh, puts it I up. Think yes. Man. I've got Vern Lundqvist. I think it, oh, Vern Lundqvist. It, that's right. Vern, does that sound? Right. Yeah. Vern did that game. Okay. And, to uh, add to that trivia, yeah, do you know Vern who Lundquist, uh, made yeah. the? Do you know who made the inbound to Leitner? Uh, Grant Hill. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a big Grand Hill guy because uh, obviously yeah. a Pistons kid growing up. Yeah. You saved yourself there, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> we had a couple other easy ones. Uh, do you believe in miracles? Ninety-eight gold medal. Hal Michaels. Yeah. And uh, I watched. How about- I watched that game. I watched that game tape delay. That game uh, was not live <laughs> in the United States. I don't know if you know that. That game was no. tape delay. Uh, yeah, I watched it. I was in high school. And uh, actually, one of my buddies, his parents were out at an event, and we were all at his house drinking beers. And we heard that the U.S. beat uh, Russia in hockey, and uh, uh, and then we watched the game tape delay. And his parents came home, and even though they were all ticked off that we were all underage drinking beers at their house, the fact that the U.S. beat Russia, we all got to stay and, and drink yeah. beer and watch the game <laughs> and hear out Michael's calling. Yeah, That's unreal. Uh, such a legendary call. I think that was at the top of the list for when I was uh, just reviewing a few of these. Um, another one I had here, who made the call? Down goes Frazier when I think it was Foreman knocked out Frazier in the second round. Howard Cosell, fellow Brooklyn guy. Oh, no way. There you go. So that was uh, <laughs> another layup for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, given Masters weekend, uh, are you a golf guy at all? Yeah, actually, I, I might play this afternoon. I, I, I'm very good at the 19th hole. The, fir- the first, uh, the first two holes are, are problematic. Yeah, but, uh, I hear you. very much so. Uh, my my wife. It's interesting. My wife is really into golf, so she'll she's you know as you guys know the Masters are going on right now, so oh, yeah. she is absolutely glued to it, and um, she's really passionate about it. I I, I kind of watch it when it, it's kind of it it on, and I walk by it. Uh, but I, I'm not riveted to it. I'd rather do it than watch sure. it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I'd say it's a uh, it's pretty cool experience to uh, to watch it. And uh, I, you know, my wife actually went to the Masters. I I, I was able nice. to get her uh, a, a pass for the a practice round and round one a few years ago for her wow. birthday. 
Awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I, would, I, I said this to Matt, I said this to Matt Dev on, on TV last night, actually, that that would be one of my bucket list items. I would love to go uh, one day uh, to the masses. I mean, you know, there's, it's interesting what we do for a living. It's great being around the NBA all the time, but there's a lot of events you can never go to because you're always working, you know? So, uh, you know, so to me, it, it's, it's, uh, you miss out on like going to a Super Bowl or, uh, the Stanley Cup finals going on the same time you're playing. Uh, uh, I've been to a World Series game, you know, but to me, it's it's uh, it, it's definitely uh, golf is a fun sport to play. Uh, I enjoy watching it, but I prefer to play and I'm not very good at it. You know, and I love tennis. I love playing tennis as well. So uh, this stage at this stage of life, at this stage of life for me is is running tennis and and, and golf. That's about it. What about pickleball? Are you into pickleball? I, you know, I, it's interesting. I haven't played it yet. <laughs> Everyone's telling me, oh, uh, Jack, we got to go. It's unbelievable. I hear that, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I hear it's a little bit more I- intensive in terms of hand-eye. You know, whereas uh, you know, tennis is a lot more. You know, it's technique and skill, but a lot of it's just you know, can you can you get to the ball? Uh, I think the average you know, joke is pick up a lot of older people. Hey, hey, hey. It, it takes a lot of dexterity. It's, yeah. it's basically it's it's bigger ping pong. It's it's a hybrid between ping pong and, and tennis. So yeah, uh, and that's what <laughs> I've, I've heard yeah. exactly. It's, it's somewhere in between. That's what I've heard. So I haven't yeah. done it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'll have to try it. I hope I hope I'm too I hope I'm too young for it yet, and I hope <laughs> to be able to play tennis for a little while longer. So. Yeah, no. Anytime that we go out and play, uh, we always get chased off the court by sixty-year-old, six-year-old. So um, it's. Uh, I think we're we're definitely. It's. It's. I think it, it, the older you get, the better you are at pickleball. Because <laughs> we get our asses kicked by, third, by, by six-year-olds. <laughs> but um, I don't want to keep you too long. I'm just curious though. Last night when I was doing uh, a little bit of research, you mentioned running. Have you? Uh, I picked up running a few years ago. My wife's into it. And uh, have you ran any big marathons? I've seen that I've you're a marathon. I've, I've done seven marathons in my life. Seven. Done, uh, the Good New York, for you. The New, York, the New York Marathon four times. Uh, I've wow. done Chicago Marathon twice. And then I did the Boston Marathon in, uh, I think that would have wow. been 2001 or 2002. I can't remember. That's the last marathon I did was Boston. So I have a, you know, uh, it, it's very, as you guys, it, it, you know, it's very intense training for it. And my kids, you know, my kids were really little at the time, and it just got to a point where after that, you know, every every waking hour, if I'm not working, I'm running around with my kids at that age. Um, so I really, you know, I, I, so I, I still have done a lot of half marathons gotcha. because that's not as intensive training for, you know. Uh, but the last, it's a funny story. The last uh, marathon I ran was the Boston Marathon, and I didn't qualify for it. Uh, but I had a few buddies that, uh, I went to college with that were Boston policemen and mm-hmm. we're in, we're in Boston playing the Celtics and we're out having a few drinks and they, they, they were asking me about the fact that I had run the New York marathon. They said, Hey, would you love, would you like to run the Boston marathon? I said, it would be a dream come true, but I, I don't think I could ever qualify time wise. I just don't have the time to put in, uh, to really get my time where it needs to be. They said, ah, you don't need it. Uh, you can run as a Boston police officer. So, uh, so I ran So I ran the Boston Marathon as a Boston policeman. So I literally ran. I, I, I 
rode on a bus with a whole bunch of Boston policemen uh, out to the start line. And you're on the bus and, you know, you get on the bus and nobody knows who I am. I, how you doing? You know, how you doing? And uh, like, where are you stationed? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they, all, they, all, they all think I'm on the job, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm not on the job. So, uh, but everyone treated me great and they knew my friends. So it all worked out good. So, uh, yeah, I ran, I ran the boss, I ran the Boston Marathon as a Boston policeman. Uh, I would love to run another marathon again. Uh, uh, the whole pandemic thing, I, 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 run, I run every day. Uh, so I feel like if, if I kind of could, you know, if we actually knew what we can and can't do, and I could plan something, uh, yeah. that would be a goal to try to do one again. I feel, I feel pretty confident based upon my experience that I could probably do it. Uh, I know for a fact, uh, if you said, uh, you got to go out and run 13 miles right now, I could do it easily. Uh, the other 13 Impressive. is the hard part, really. I oh, mean, yeah. Uh, I could, I could do a half marathon, but the other, the, the other half, the, you know, the other half, particularly the last six, seven miles of a marathon, it's mental. Oh, you probably can't even physical. feel your feet. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it, it's a, but it's a great experience uh, and it's an emotional experience. Uh, I have vivid memories of it. Uh, it was great. Uh, my oldest son, maybe my middle son as well, they were in New York and saw me finish the New York Marathon. They wouldn't remember. They were too little. But, uh, you know, so it's it's a neat experience. Um, and, you know, the, the beautiful thing about marathons is there are so many people running them for a, a really good cause, uh, raising money or whatever. So, uh, but I love running. Uh, I love the half marathons. I love the 10Ks, 5Ks. Uh, the beer truck after you finish running and uh, the camaraderie of, of just hanging out, having a cold beer after you run a race and the laughs that you have. And, and uh, you know, that shower after you run and yeah. that feeling of uh, exhilaration. And then you feel like you feel awful, particularly after you run a marathon, you feel awful for a day or two. And then uh, life goes on. But it's really cool. <laughs> There's nothing more satisfying than a long run right after you're done. There's just, I don't know, you can't really, uh, you can't really match it with anything else. Just to touch on that last point here, we have one final uh, fan question. Um, what is your, your favorite beer and why is it MGD? Ha! <laughs> uh, well, my favorite beer is cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll drink to that. Right. Fair enough. And, uh, and, and my, favorite, my second favorite beer is warm. So I guess I, so when people say, I, you know, the thing I, people say, hey, Jack, would you like another beer? And I always say the last time I said no to that question, I didn't understand the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I, if you have uh, a go to beer, I, I would say right now, honestly, I would say right now um, I'm a big IPA guy right now. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I, even the double I, even the double IPAs, uh, those are strong. Bring on the hot yeah, test. Yeah. But, uh, I enjoy, uh, no, that's why I run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, I would say, uh, you know, those are probably the ones I enjoy the most now would be, uh, would be an IPA or, uh, you know, but you got to pace yourself obviously when you have those big boys. Yeah. Uh, oh, but, yeah. uh, I enjoy, I enjoy <laughs> Yeah. I enjoy those. 
those are uh, yeah. those are my favorites and and there's a lot of really really uh craft beers uh you know are giving the the major breweries a run for the money and uh I think it's really been good. Competition is good. It's helped the major, and it's also forced the major breweries uh, to put out their best product as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a win-win for everybody. And obviously, our good friends at Molson Coors are, uh, and and they have MGD as part of their uh, brand. Uh, they're good friends of the Raptors and Leafs and all that. Mm-hmm. And those are wonderful people, and I enjoy having their product as well. And uh, I don't discriminate. Whatever you put in front of me, yeah. I'll probably have it. <laughs> our kind of guy yeah that's fantastic well uh well jack um i know we went a bit over but thank you so much for uh for checking in with us it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and uh hopefully we can we can do this again later on down the road uh we'd be absolutely honored to have you back on the show yeah, absolute pleasure well guys thank you so much Th- thanks for having me and uh all the best and enjoy you uh, enjoy your weekend and uh be well and be safe. We're going to get through this. Better days ahead. So uh, it's tough right now. But uh, as I always say, the night is always dark. It's just before the dawn. Better days are coming. Can you uh, can you tell us where to put our garbage? <laughs> get that garbage out of here! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Fantastic. One more time, that's Jack Armstrong of the Toronto Raptors on our show. Thank you so much for stopping in, Jack. My pleasure, guys. You smell that, Josh? Yo, I smell that. That's that fresh-ass candle. Ooh. This episode of Down by Two is brought to you by Naturally Vein. That's a handcrafted, naturally produced line of body care products and candles suitable for everyone. Sexy. It's Ottawa-based but globally known. You can find that scent at naturallyvein.ca. Yo, I smell that. You smell that. Don't forget to use your promo code down by two for twenty percent off your next order. Ooh, that's down by two. Wow. Wow. This guy, Jack Armstrong, is a beauty. Absolute beaut. What a leggy. Oh man. It was unreal having him on the show. Uh thank you guys for tuning in. Man, uh hopefully we can have him back on the show again sometime soon. He's rubbed some elbows with some serious people, obviously being in the uh, professional sports circle. Yeah, absolute delight to have him on the show. Um, Yo, I guess by the time this episode's uh, done, though, for transitioning over to the Masters, Masters will be wrapped up. Um, How are you feeling about that going into into the weekend as of right now? Uh, What do we got? Friday round is underway as we're recording. Thursday, Justin Rose went nuts. I think he was seven under. Um, leading by four, heading into Friday. Still really early. Um, I think we mentioned Morikawa, Spieth, uh, Dusty. All of them, I think, are still in the mix. A lot of people had some struggles out there. Patrick Reed. Fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) Two under, you know, lots of golf left. Lots of golf left. I plan on uh, absorbing all of it for the next 72 hours. So, Well, thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Uh, Make sure you like, share, subscribe all that good stuff and uh stream this podcast wherever you listen to your shows um but thanks again for tuning in one more time for josh elijah mike fulmer uh thank you guys down by two cheers cheers folks
Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Cundell from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. 